When I say the words in the word entrusted, what does that mean to you? It's going to be an interactive message this morning. What does the word entrust mean? Nobody. Come on, what does the word entrust mean? Given something for a short time. Given something to engard. Okay, so let me put it this way. If you're going to entrust you yourself, entrust someone with something, what are you doing? You're giving them something, and if they take it, they are accepting responsibility for what you, they've been entrusted with. Would you agree with that? Do you entrust something that you don't care about to someone? Because you wouldn't call it entrusting, right? You entrust something that you care about. And when you entrust, you're saying, hey, this is important. So if I entrust something to someone, what I am saying is, listen, I am giving you something with the expectation that what you do with what I am entrusting into your care will look like what I want you to do with it, right? It will meet the expectation that I have. Do you need to be careful in who you entrust things with? It's a dumb question, right? It's full of dumb questions this morning, right? You only entrust something to someone that you trust. Have you ever been let down when you've entrusted something, right? When it doesn't meet your expectation. Hold on to those words, entrust. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. Paul speaks to the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what we celebrated this morning with communion. What, what does that mean to you? Too many times in Scripture we read through it and we glaze or glance over it. What does this mean to you? For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Here's what I can tell by the blank looks on your faces. That it doesn't really grip your heart like it should. That somehow in our walk with God that we've become almost immune to some, the passion and the love that he's displayed for us. Let, let, me, let me ask how you would respond to this article. Let's say that you opened up the Boston Globe and you read, Tom and Giselle are selling their mansion and they're giving all their money away to their poor and they're going to the poorest community in this part of the world, which is Haiti, and they're going to go live in the poorest part of Haiti with the most broken people. And they're leaving behind all their finances and all their vehicles and all of their servants and all of their special diets. And they're just going to live because they want to live like these people. And, and, and if they live in tin shacks, then, then they're going to live in tin shacks. And if it rains on these people, it's going to rain on them. And if these people are hungry, they're going to be hungry how would you feel about that? Still blank stares. You guys are like, like that's not going to happen, right? If that actually happened, right, that wouldn't just be local news. That would go everywhere, right? Everywhere. And people would be saying, 
Man, can you, can, wow, we need more celebrities like them, man, this is awesome. And some of you say, man, they're crazy, this is irresponsible, what are they doing? They should stand back at a distance and just give, find, or do something. Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that concept is kind of hard for us to understand because none of us have been to heaven yet that I know of. But think about it, all divine power and dignity is the Lord's. All the angels, his servants, all the works of God full of praise to his name. Everything declaring his praise. See, it's hard for us even to grip this richness that though he was rich. And as I thought about this, the only thing that came to my mind was, was this passage in Revelation 4 where John describes the throne room that he sees in a vision. And so I want you to close your eyes with me as I read John's description of what he sees through this vision of the throne room of God. And my hope is that somehow that will connect with your heart or penetrate your heart and understand what Jesus' richness really looks like. This is what he says, starting at verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, And seated on them were 24 elders, and all these elders were were dressed in white, and they had crowns of their own on their heads. And from the, the throne in the central came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Let's just pause there for a moment. Here John is saying, man, I can't even describe what I'm seeing, but but here on the throne, this person that's sitting on this throne, for the best that I can see, had this appearance of jasper and and, and ruby, and there was this this circle around him, like this rainbow, and it was just amazing. And from this throne was thunder and lightning. Can you even imagine that? Like from the throne, is thunder and lightning just proceeding from this. This is the king of the world. And then next to this throne were 24 other thrones, all subject to his. And and these people on on these thrones were dressed and robed in white for righteousness, and each of them had a gold crown of their own. And so John is saying, man, this is, this is what I'm seeing here. This is this glorious, amazing richness of God's throne. He goes on, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Just imagine this 24-7 praises from these heavenly beings 
just looking at this throne with peals of thunder and lightning, and all they could do was just say, holy, 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 you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy to receive honor and glory, who was and is and is to come. You have always been there and always worthy. He goes on in verse 9, it says, Whenever the living creatures would give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down off their thrones before him who sits on the throne and would worship him who lives forever and ever. And so these elders would, would, would just get off their thrones, these elders clothed in righteousness, and they would just bow down, and they would just lay, they'd take their crowns off, and they would lay them at the foot of the central throne. And they would say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the description of the throne room of God. If you read on into Revelation 5, you'll also say, hear John say, and on that throne was the lamb looking like it had been slain. What John is describing is the throne room of Jesus Christ. Not a new throne room, but a throne room that has always existed. A throne room that actually understands how valuable and how glorious and how holy he is. That attributes to him what he deserves 24-7. Holy, holy, holy. And it says whenever they said that, these elders the entire time would spend their life on their knees, taking off their own crowns of own righteousness that they have earned and laying them down, saying, man, my crown, my righteousness, what I deserve, what I've earned is nothing. And I take it and I lay it down to him who is worthy and glory and worthy and holy is your name. And this is what he deserves, all the angels and all the glory in heaven and earth and peals of thunder and lightning. And so when, when, when Paul says, listen, though he was rich, that's what he's talking about. See, it's amazing how we can read this, and it's sad how we can read this and just kind of be like, yeah, okay. Like, though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. Though he was rich, though he was deserving of all of that, for your sake and my sake, he would leave that. He would step off that throne in the midst of being bowed down to and worshipped and glorified. He would step off that throne and go and become nothing with the least of these. We were outside in the backyard yesterday and, and um, just having a bonfire, and there were a lot of bugs. Where am I going with this, right? Nice transition. A lot of bugs, and they were kind of annoying. And you know what I'd do when they'd come by? Right? I wasn't trying to kill them. It's just annoyance. It's just get rid of them. Just move them along, you know? You understand that that's probably what we deserve? I mean, we walked away from God. 
We rebelled against him. We walked away. We wanted nothing to do with him. We, we chose our ways instead of his. We obviously didn't really quite grasp how glorious and how worthy and what a king he is. And, 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 and amongst all of these angelic beings and heavenly beings that actually get it, we walked away as if he was nothing. I mean, if I was God and if you were God, you probably would have been like, you know what? Let's get away. I would never make myself nothing to become like the bug or the ant that only has a few legs working and he's dragging one. I would never make myself nothing to become like this bug that it might understand and that I might help it. And that sounds like a crazy analogy, but understand what we're saying. Jesus is sitting in a throne room filled with angelic beings who understand how glorious he is, yet he would walk away from all of this richness and all of this wealth to become nothing. In the eyes of those who thought of him as nothing, he would become poor. He would assume the form of a man and not of a wealthy man and not of a man with title or position or influence, but that of a servant, that of the least. He accepted a lowly rank within the culture that he went into with no servants and no attendants. In wisdom, indeed, and in all that constitutes moral wealth and dignity, he was rich. But in the view of the world and what the world treasures and sees as important, he became poor and the least. And poor by choice. I can only imagine him in, in Palestine growing up and, and walking on foot. Here's the son of God walking on foot foot and dusty roads while others rode by on horses and mules. I can only imagine that as a young carpenter and growing up in this, there were furniture and things in people's houses that the Son of God made that they were using. Scripture tells us that he had no house to call his own, no place to lay his head at night. We know from reading Scripture he was deserted by his friends in his greatest time of needs, he was insulted by his enemies and by his foes. He was despised. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was crucified. Truly, though he was rich, he became poor. You ever wonder what the angels were thinking? Maybe I have these weird thoughts, but... Put it this way, if, 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 like, what would you do for a president who, who saw some of his own people who had been kidnapped and held hostage, what would you do? What would your thoughts be for a president who said, you know what? No, I am exchanging my life for theirs. It's an exchange the hostages or the, or the captors would gladly make. They would gladly give up their hostages and take one of more importance. What would you think of a president who would actually say, no, I'm freeing these soldiers, these POWs, and I am taking their place? And what would you think as the video poured in of the president being abused and tortured and mistreated? What would happen in your heart as you saw that happen? 
What would happen in your heart if the Queen of England did the same thing? Inside, it would begin to boil up inside of you. You'd be thinking, no, no, he can't do this. This isn't right. My, and as you saw him abused and hurt, you're going, man, no, no, no. There would be people standing up all over the place saying, this can't happen. And if he's going to do this, it's over my dead body. I'm standing up. There would be an uproar. There would be such an, people would seem so, so amazed and so impressed by the actions and the commitment of a love so strong by a leader that they would give their lives. It's exactly what Jesus did. I almost wonder what the angels are thinking. Just think, these ones and these elders who day and night are saying, holy, 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 and they're laying down their crowns are watching the Son of God, the one that they're worshiping, being spit on and rejected and pushed away and abused. What is going on in their minds? They're probably be thinking, man, Man, they don't even know. Like, what are they doing? I can't even imagine or fathom. This is the Son of God. Do you know how valuable, do you know how worthy he is? And you were treating him as nothing. I can only imagine the torment and the heartache as they watched the very people that Jesus became nothing to be with and to save, push him and abuse him and spit on him and beat him and kill him and desert him and abandon him. Though he was rich, he became poor. So that you and so that me, through his poverty, might become rich. He would come and live like us that we in turn might live like him. He would come and walk where we walk so that we might walk where he walks in eternity. He would take on our misery and our pain and our shame. He would take on our sickness and our abuse and our addictions so that we might be set free and enriched through him. Scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. What's interesting is Paul is is talking to the Corinthian church, and, and if you put this into context of what he's saying, he's actually addressing the need for generosity when he says this. He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, hey, listen, you need to be generous to the church in Jerusalem. And, and, and before you move forward, and I'm paraphrasing here, before you move forward with your generosity, before you do that, consider first Jesus Christ and his generosity. Before you make a decision on how you will move and what you will do, consider what he did on your behalf. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes and my sakes The last two weeks, we've talked about love. There's no greater picture of love than this. It just isn't. It's a picture of love. It's a picture of generosity, the generosity of life. Not not the generosity of some material object, 
Man, that's nothing. It's not, hey, who did I give a bike to or, 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 or what did I give materialistically to this person? It's a generosity that comes from the core. It's a generosity of myself, of the way I live, of what I do. Not a generosity of materialism. You know, so many times when Jesus walked this world, he would do these amazing things and his disciples would be puzzled by it. And you know what he would say? Now go and do likewise. Now go and do likewise. Go and do this Lord's table. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And every time we come to the communion, we're not just reminded of what he's done for us. We're challenged of what he's called us to do for others. This is not just a picture of his life. It needs to be a picture of our lives. It's the life that Jesus has called us to live. Mark 8, 34 through 36, Jesus says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. What do you think that word deny means? I must deny myself. If I'm going to break that down, the way I'm going to break it down is this, is if I'm denying myself Listen, there are all kinds of things in life that would be nice to have, nice to pursue. Am I alone? This is just your backsliding pastor. Just pray for me. Probably not alone in this, right? There are things in life that would be nice to have. There'd be things in life that you could actually pinpoint and make a goal out of and drive towards. And your whole heart is, can I get this? Can I achieve this? When he says this, whoever wants to follow me, must deny himself. That means deny the desires of the flesh. Take up his cross and follow me. The cross we know he was crucified on. It's a picture of saying, man, it's not about what you want to run after and chase after. It's about dying to those things. And on those things, on the cross, your personal dreams and desires for whatever the flesh is hungry after are hung up and they die. And it's a, it, it looks like not my will, but your will. I, my life is surrendered. It's a song that we sang. I, I, I lay out my life before you. Have your way. Can I tell you something? Satan doesn't have to do a whole lot in the church to distract us. We want to blame everything on Satan, but can I tell you the truth? We are our own worst enemies. I used to play this game with my dog. I thought it was a game. I'm not sure she thought it was a game. You guys see this? Dogs love this thing. Cats love this. Some of you have these guilty smiles. You know and those of you who don't know what we abusive people do to our animals, I used to say, why walk my dog? Watch this. And I would do this. And my dog would run up and down the stairs. Like, here's exercise time. All right? You can take this and you can do this in a circle. And your dog will run after it as long as you keep doing that. And they'll just chase it or your cat on the hopes that somehow I'll be able to get this. And they run. Let me tell you what Satan does with your life. He doesn't have to do much. He does this. Oh, you're serving God. Whoop. Woo. 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 Oh, watch this. That really drives them crazy. Let me tell you something. It's funny, but it's not. He knows how to get in. 
He, he doesn't need to do a whole lot. He just puts a carrot in front of you and says, man, you could have this. And let me just watch how quickly you get distracted off the mission and purpose that God has for you. And he runs us around. Man, he doesn't have to do a whole lot to defeat the church. All we have to do is live uncrucified lives. We defeat ourselves because we don't understand what God is saying. Until so we crucify the desire for all of these things, we will be no different than this dog running around and we're saying we're glorifying God. He doesn't care if you glorify God. Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care if you go to church. He doesn't care what you say or how glad or how loud you sing or how well you speak or how well you, you quote scripture. As long as he's got you doing this, guess what? You are no threat and you are not serving God. And that is the truth. I know we, 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 we sit in a day where, where preachers want to tiptoe around and they want to tell everybody what they want to hear. Let me tell you something. This is what God says. This is the gracious words of Jesus Christ. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Here's the thing, guys, you need to understand. He's talking to you. Can I tell you something? He's talking to the majority of this church. It's not my words, they're his. He's talking about a lukewarmness that he wants to spit out of his mouth. He talks about a lifestyle that doesn't glorify anybody but self that tips Jesus Christ on the side and acts as somehow if he's pleased with that? Can I challenge you this morning? It's not for your neighbor, this is for you. This is not from Selwyn, this is from him. And some of you may not come back after this, and that's okay. This is from him. You need to understand that he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. He's coming back for people who understand his sacrifice. That understand his love as much as they can. And don't want to play a game. In church, we have too many people that want to camp out with Jesus. Because they like how they feel when they're close to him. We don't have as many people that actually want to follow him. There are some people that I have in my life and I love them. And they say, and this is not patting me on the back because they'll do it to you. They'll say, listen, can, I, can we hang out? Can we talk? Can we just spend time together? Because they, they, they like what they feel. And the whole time I say, it's not me, it's just Jesus. And, and not that I'm any kind of saint because I'm not, but, but, but man, I like what you say. Well, I like this. And, 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 they, and they don't just do that around me. They do it in church. They want to come here because they want to feel this peace or this presence. And, and they want to come and they want to camp out, but they don't want to follow and the whole time you say, listen, it's not about camping out with Jesus. It's about following him. It's about sacrifice. It's about denying yourself. And you can experience real peace that doesn't come from chasing these things on the ground. They don't go there because Satan distracts them and says, no. He somehow convinces them that this thing is attainable. And this thing is more important. And this thing has more joy and more peace and more. And he deceives so many people. And it's the majority, not the minority of the people in the church that he's deceiving. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, 
You must deny yourself. It's no longer about you, about what you want, about where you want to go, about what you want to achieve, about the car or the houses or the, whatever it may be, your position, your title. It is not about that. Those are tools God has given you to use. And you've made it about that instead of about him. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You know what he's talking about? This person who was saying, you know what? Here's my life, and, and how can I protect my life? And how can I make sure that I have everything here that I need for my life? And, and, and just keep it here while serving God here. And, and, and I, I, I want both God, and I also want my life and every desire. And so there's some way that I can actually achieve this that's going to glorify God in the process. And let me tell you something, you're being deceived. And I know a lot of people go, man, hold on. Yeah, I know it's counter to what you want to hear. It's just not counter to what he says. And I have a responsibility to say what he says. He says, whoever wants to save your life, if your focus is somehow creating the best life for you right now, you're missing it. Whoever wants to save your life will lose your life. He's talking about lukewarmness. That's hot and cold. It's sometimes I'm on fire and sometimes I'm not. Then he goes on to say, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel's sake will find it, will save it. What he's saying is whoever takes their desires and, 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 and their wants and all the things that they want to strive for that they think makes them who they are and will give them up and lay them down, recognizing how real and personal and how strong you want these in your life, if you will lose those for him and for the sake of the gospel, you will find life. And to make it even clearer, he says, what good is it for a man to gain the world and lose his soul? If there was any question about what he's saying, it clarifies it right there. He goes, what good is it for you to gain everything? Every bit of materialism, every bit of house, every bit of whatever it is, what good is it for you to gain all of that and in the process lose your life? Tim, come here real quick, please. This is this illustration I do all the time, and you're probably tired of it, but it works really well. This is eternity. When does eternity end? Not at the end of the toilet roll. Eternity doesn't end. Eternity does not end. And what Jesus says to us is, listen, in the span of eternity, if Tim were to keep going, it would wrap around and wrap around and wrap around. He says, in the span of eternity, this is your life here on earth. And for this life here on earth, I am equipping you. I am putting into you. I'm going to give you the intelligence or the unintelligence, wherever you are, whatever you want to claim. doesn't matter. I'm going to give you the education. I'm going to have you born to wealth or born to poverty. I'm going to have you equipped with this skill set or that skill set. And it's all for one purpose to put you in arenas and communities and places to build his kingdom. That is the only reason it exists in your life. It is not to glorify you. 
It is not to build your kingdom. It is not to reap in all that you have for yourself. No, it's to place you on paths. How many of you know that God needs people in every walk of life? I don't care if you are the, 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 the best neurosurgeon on the planet or, or the least position, whatever you think that least position is, the world's dirtiest jobs, it doesn't matter because God needs people everywhere. It's not where or what you were doing for a career. It's who you're doing it for. He uses every position and every place. You may have been blessed with a great job and a great career. Let me tell you something. Don't take credit for it. God equipped you for it. But you've got to make sure that you don't hijack it and make it now about yourself. And that's where Satan steps in with a little laser finder. Run after this, run after that. He says, listen, this is the span of your life. He says, if you will lose this, if you will take everything that I've equipped you for that will generate resources for you, and within this portion of your life, you're going to have desires and wants and things you want to see and accomplish. If you will take this portion of your life and lose it for me, if you will dedicate this much out of eternity for me, then you will have eternity with me. But if you take this portion and you make your life about this, then you're trading in all of eternity for this. He says, what good is it to gain everything in the world in this section of life and lose all of that? Guys, these are the words of Jesus. This is the gracious, loving Jesus that everyone wants to say, you can just do whatever. These are his words. And his words are, man, if you do this, if you choose this over that, then you will lose your life. He's basically saying, whoever believes in me needs to look like me. Matthew 7, 21, words of the gracious, loving Jesus, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what, guys, he's talking about the church. He's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about us. This isn't about the people outside. He's talking about those inside. He's saying not everyone in this church right now is going to heaven. Even the ones that say, Lord, Lord. He says, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they'll say, but didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do that in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you, and you don't really know me. You might like to camp out around me 
You like to, may like the peace that being around me brings, but you don't know me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It baffles me how so many of us fail to get this. Because I'm not saying that we can get it and be able to walk this out 100%. But I'm just saying, guys, I'm going to give you some statistics. And this isn't about money, but money is a good thermometer. Because money is an earthly treasure that we keep for ourselves. And do you know that the national average tithe for the church is like 32%? Like 30% of Christians actually tithe. That's 30%. All right? Do you know that a study was done by World Vision, by Richard Stearns, and they actually realized, they said, look, if 100% of people who claim to love Christ actually tithe, and if the church actually did with the tithe what they should do with the tithe, it would wipe out the poorest one billion people on earth. If the church, those who claim to love Jesus, actually loved him back and actually gave, and the church, instead of keeping it for themselves, actually did with the money what they should do, the poorest one billion people on earth would not exist in poverty. Do you know what the biggest argument for non-Christians are? If there's a God, how come there are so many poor people? question is, if you're really Christian, how come there's so many poor people? God's created the way. But what it says, it paints a picture of a church that does not understand. It says that 70% of the church does not get it. Do you know why this is not about money? Because normally money is the last thing that we give. It's like the stronghold of our lives. It's the thing that Satan can just get because he says, listen, if you take what belongs to God and you keep it for yourself and keep it from the kingdom, you can have this and this and this and this. But the way to get this is to hold back. Don't give that to God. Give him something, but just don't give him what he says. And then you can begin to achieve. You are taking finances that belong to the kingdom to set people free and give them actually food and you're buying cars with it and you're buying homes with it and you're filling your stomach with it and we're taking God's money and and using it for ourselves. And he says, man, you don't get this. If that statistic is true in this church, that means 70% of you don't get this. We looked at the stats just to look to see where we are. I think we're at 35% that actually tithe. That means 65%. We actually told the company this, and they said, man, that's awesome. You guys are doing so well because most churches aren't even there. I wanted to throw up. I did. Because here's how I see it. What if God treated you the way we treated him? How many of you want 30% of your body to actually work? Think about it. You know why the church is is not being really effective in a lot of ways? It's because only 30% of its body is working. Which 30% do you want to work? 
What would that look like if all of a sudden I try to walk out of here with only 30% of my bodily functions working? What would that look like? Kind of impossible, right? He says, listen, you come and you say, man, I laid down my life and it's garbage you don't. You don't give. You don't give of your finances and you don't give of your time. If you're not giving of your time or your finances, I can promise you you're not serving him. You know what Jesus says? This is what's so hard and so tough to understand is he says, listen, I left glory. I left, I left 24-7 of praise and worship of, of, of angelic beings crying out, holy, holy, holy. I gave my life and I asked you for 10%. I say you can keep nine out of the 10. I just want one and you can't even do that. And you think that you're glorifying God. You're not. Guys, this is not about money. This is about what are you doing with your lives? Are you really serving God? Or are you really serving yourselves? Because I can promise you this. If you were serving God, it wouldn't look this way. It wouldn't look this way. I don't care who I offend this morning. Because God is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And if you're not serving him, guess what? You're not part of that. You might be camping out here, but you're not glorifying him. And you can sit here and be critical of messages, and it doesn't matter. God is saying, listen, I want you to lay down your life. I want you to make it about me. Don't hijack the gifts that I've given you in your arrogance and somehow take credit for what you've achieved as if you've done this. But walk in the path that I've given you and be confident in it and be content in it and serve me in it. And if you lose your life for me, you will find it. But if you try and save your life for me, you will lose it. Too many people trying to save their lives. Too many people trying to protect what they've got. Somehow trying to balance this thing. There is no balance in it. Tell me something. Where's the balance in a cross? Where's the balance in dying for Christ? Where's the balance in that? He left glory. He left heaven. And he came down to be with us. And he says, man, listen, I know you can't give 100%. Can you give 10? Can you give 10% of your time? See, see, this isn't about, this is about stewardship involves every area of your life. Can you give just 10% of yourself? What, 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 what it takes to give your life is not the material things. That's just a test to see if you're actually doing it. What he really wants from you is, is, is the inner core, the laying down of this. Because when you give from this, the money, the, that's not even an issue. But can you give just, just 10% of your life? Can you give just 10% of your time? Can, can you be a good steward of your family? Can you be a good steward? Can I entrust you? I've given you all of these things and I am trusting into your care the giftings and the talents and the education and the finances and the path that I've given to you. I am trusting that into your care. Will you not 
hijack it and make it about you? Will you not use it to chase after what you want and lay it down so he can be glorified that people who are lost can come to know him? What would happen if just 100% of this church were to do that? 100% would just give 10% of themselves, just a portion of themselves. What would happen to the kingdom of God? The church limps along, 30% serving, 30% giving, 30% doing everything. And it limps along, crippled. And we look like that crippled ant just walking along, dragging its leg. And we say, man... Come to God. This is glorious. Come to God and and be like us. And the world doesn't see him in us. What they see is a compromise. God is doing amazing things in this church, despite stats. Can I tell you something? God has a future for you, and God has a purpose for you, and God has a plan, and God is sick and tired of seeing his people chasing that laser beam on the ground that the enemy is making them chase. As if, because what that says is true happiness and true peace actually comes from that, then rather than than from him. Listen, He says, if you will choose to lay your life down, you will find life. The greatest joy that that, that you can have is when you give it all away. You just give it all away and you lay it all down. Let me tell you something. You will do things you've never dreamed. Your life will not look like anything you thought it would look like, but you will have peace and you will have joy in the midst of the problems and the trials that you have. And I give it all away. These are the words that we sing. I give it all away. God, I give it all away. God is going to do big things in this church. He said it. I believe it. I'm counting on it. I know he's going to do it. But this is not just something leadership does. He's counting on you. He wants you, the individual, to be part of this. Before they crossed the Jordan, each individual had to prepare themselves. And God is preparing you. And he says, are you individually ready for what he wants to do through you? Are you holding back? Or are you ready? You need to prepare yourself for what God wants to do. You can't even begin to dream or imagine what God wants to accomplish in your life. But you've got to quit chasing the things of this world and start chasing Him and letting Him lead you. Everything in your possession has been entrusted to you by him. The greatest thing is this. You can mess this up. As long as you mess it up seeking after him, he's right there to pick you up and help you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for heart. He's looking for desire. He's looking for a longing. He's looking for a person who goes, listen, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, and I'm going to mess this up along the way, and I don't think you're even going to be pleased with this, but I'm going to attempt to do this because you're calling me. That's the heart that he's looking for. 
You don't have to be the preacher or the deacon or, no, just, man, just strive to go after him. He says, listen, you're going to mess it up, and that's why I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to get you there. And listen, when you fail, I'm there to pick you up. Close your eyes and just bow your heads. I want to ask you, what, how are you doing with the stewardship of these areas in your life? We're going to be talking about this for the next eight weeks. We're going to talk about stewardship of self. How are you, how are you managing yourself? How are you managing your family? How are you managing your position or your community, the community of church that God's put you in, the community and the talent he's put you in? How are you managing the time and the finances God has blessed you with for his kingdom? Let me ask you this. In these areas of self and goals and, 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 and desires, who, who really determines where you go? Who really determines what you do? Is it? Is it really the Lord or is it your own desires or your own dreams? Does your life look exactly like you planned it out to be? Have you allowed God to throw you a curveball? What God has in store for you supersedes what you even had imagined for yourself. Esau traded his inheritance for a bowl of stew to meet some immediate desire? Are you trading your inheritance for a bowl of stew? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. I ask Tim to come up and just lead us in that song. Guys, I want you to know this. God is speaking this to you this morning not because he wants to destroy you. See, you got to be careful who you listen to in this. The enemy wants to use this and go, man, you're, you stink and you're worthless. And man, what kind of Christian? Don't believe those words. See, what God wants to say to you this morning is this. Listen, what happened yesterday is behind you. What happened this past week is behind you. You bring me your mistakes of yesterday, of this morning, of last week, of your past life, and I will make it new. But today is a new day. And today can be different. And today I want to empower you. And today, listen, if you hope in him, you will rise up on the wings of eagles and you will soar and you will go to places that you never dreamed of. Today, there's a smile on his face more than anything he wants you to grasp and say, listen, understand my love and understand that I am for you and I'm not against you. We can do this together. Take my hand. Let's run this race together. Don't be distracted. Lay down your life. And in doing so, you will find life and you will find peace and you will find joy and you will find fulfillment. Man, throw off everything that hinders you. Quit chasing that laser beam that Satan has convinced you is happiness and joy. Throw it off. And it may be a fight and it may be a struggle, but it starts with recognition. And if you just recognize it and bring it before him and say, God, I need you to help me with this. I'm probably going to mess this up. 
God, I've made myself king. I, I walked up to your throne and I climbed on it and I sat down and I took your place. And God, forgive me. I am crawling off that throne. I am laying prostrate before you. And I'm saying, God, I am giving you my life. I am giving you my life. It is yours. Take every dream and replace them with yours. Take my visions and replace them with yours. God, have your way in my life. From this point on, it's new. And God, I don't have the strength, but I know you do. And I am desperate for your strength. God, have your way in my life. If that's the plea of your heart, would you stand to your feet? If that's where you are, would you stand to your feet? If it's not where you are, don't. Don't, because God sees you standing. Yes, I'm putting you on the spot, but here's the thing. We will stand before God one day and he will look at me and go, listen, let's talk about your life. I want to close some prayer. Then these altars are open and, and you can respond by coming and praying with someone. Listen, don't care what anyone thinks. Man, if they're thinking stuff, they need to examine themselves. They probably aren't where they need to be. You just come make time with God. You pray at your seat. You pray at the front. But man, I want to be, I want to be the individual. Guys, I'm not exempt from this message. Guys, I fall short. Man, let's run this race. Let's be stewards. Let's live this life. Let's see what God does. Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, as we even just imagine your throne room and the love that you have for us, that though you were rich, you became poor. That for our sakes, we might become rich even though we were poor. God, you know every struggle. God, you know every distraction. You know every tool of the enemy. And this morning, we lay them at your feet and we say, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for chasing the wrong things, for being distracted? God, would you forgive us for hijacking your purposes, for your kingdom in my life and making it about me? God, would you forgive me for my stinginess? God, would you forgive me for stealing from you? God, would you forgive me for using my talents just for me? God, this morning I'm asking you to strengthen me and empower me. I lay myself down before you. God, would you have your way in my weakness? God, I need you desperately to be strong, to set me free, to help me conquer these battles, God. God, I want my life to be glorifying your life. God, I want people when they see me, God, just to begin just a glimpse, just a portion of who you are. God, let my life point to yours in everything that I say and everything that I do and how I live and walk and talk. God, be glorified in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open.